Hello, you are listening to Watching Worst Films, your guide to Razzie history. I am one of your hosts, Jericho Reed, and without me is Kyle Shemansky. Ordinarily, we are the podcast that watches every one of the Razzie Worst Picture Award winners. However, we are taking a break from scheduled programming this week. We were originally going to be bringing you our episode on Battlefield Earth, you will have seen that is not the case, unfortunately. Both Kyle and I have been laid low by the experience of watching Battlefield Earth for the second time. The Thetans have got to us and we are both sick, so we have been unable to record our episode. However, we do not want to disappoint our loyal listener, so we decided to come to you with a little something just to tide you over and explain what's going on. So when we were nearly in this situation last week, I thought about Showgirls 2. However, having watched that, that is such an interesting picture that I don't want to burn it out on me just rambling about it for a little while. So we will likely be doing that as our next advertised special. In the meantime, I will be talking at you about 2021's Karen. So this is the first in our new series things we said we were going to do as specials that we probably were never going to do the specials but now we are doing as some kind of special so you might remember on our first episode we spoke about the most recent ceremony at the time where diana the musical took home the coveted golden raspberry and there was a film that captivated us captivated the imagination karen directed by one coke daniels it was nominated for Worst Rip-Off Remake or Sequel, where it was described as a remake of Cruella. So, I don't want to speak for Kyle, but my imagination certainly ran haywire with the idea of a Karen exploitation movie. And so I was motivated to check it out. And so that is what I will be talking about this week. Okay, just as well we don't have Kyle, as we don't have any budget or box office figures. So, Karen starts off with some BLM graffiti on a driveway getting washed off by a Karen which is you know kind of nice I thought that was like an interesting statement about the people who value like civility and nimbyism over human life I thought that was like a, a, a somewhat powerful visual representation of that so thus far I am on board with Karen we then segue straight into horror drones like the inception kind of over shots of the neighborhood so i was already kind of alienated by that she seems nice is my next note i think that was an observation from the character in the film and not me um next note karen doesn't have the karen cut like you think you're making a film called karen there are some things you have to get right which is the iconic karen haircut she does not have that. The actor playing Karen is Taryn Manning. And if you look up Taryn Manning's Wikipedia page, you can see the picture on her page is a 2017 shot from the Toronto Film Festival. And she looks infinitely more of a Karen there than she does in this film. Chekhov's swords are introduced quite quickly. Ah, sorry, this is going to be um, incredibly symbolic without Kyle. To do the most basic plot setup, a black couple have moved into a... I don't think it is a gated community, but it has the vibe of a gated community. They've moved into what is essentially meant to be white picket fence America, I think. And 
Karen is unhappy with it. So we're following this couple in a new neighborhood, moving into their new place, and they put some swords up on the wall. To obviously Chekhov's sword as like this sword is going to be used against Karen by the end of the film. It's then established that the street is known as Plantation Street. It's, it's not, but it's it's named after like a slave owner. And the woman, Imani, is like, don't worry, I'll get on the HOA board and I will petition to change that. Um, which, yeah, good. I'm not going to advise black people on what neighbourhoods they should and shouldn't move into. And I am entirely in support of driving change and tearing down these memorials to people in our past who should not be honoured. But at the same time, I would think that would be a red flag. Like if you're seeing, if you're going for home viewings and the realtor is like, we have a lovely street here on David Duke Boulevard or Jeff Davis Avenue and everyone's flying Confederate flags out the window then you think, hmm, yeah, maybe rather than trying to drive change from the inside, unless this place is really cheap, unless you're getting a really good deal, I would maybe choose the place that isn't on Plantation Lane. But anyway, that's just me from my perspective of privilege. I have a quote for you here. You are a strong, beautiful, intelligent, and woke black man. That speaks for itself, really. The couple are trying to conceive. That's something that they they establish early on. They then meet their neighbour uh, out in the yard, Karen, and the, the the guy whose name is Malik, which interestingly is the name of Barack Obama's half-brother, I think, Malik Obama. Interesting, interesting conservative figure, Malik Obama. He reaches out to shake Karen's hand, and Karen recoils visibly, saying, I don't shake I'm a bit of a germaphobe. And that's that. So, like, it goes from very, very zero to 100 in terms of the racism, which isn't personally what I would have done, but, you know, already kind of losing faith in this film to give me a a, a compelling thriller. Karen then sets up cameras all around her house, and Malik takes objection to that, or he just speaks to her about it normally, being like, yeah, I I see you're installing cameras. Like, are you worried about security? And she's like... Why are you seeing me installing cameras? You've been casing the joint, haven't you? You're going to rob me. Which, the writing in this film is just insane. It is terrible. Yeah, it's like, it's not good. The Karen is just like, unbelievable. When like, I don't know, I guess what you're going to learn over the course of this episode is further illustration of Jericho going into every bad movie with a set idea of what it should be and what the version I would like to see is and then being disappointed when hey this thing which is notoriously regarded as a bad movie is bad but like I think it's an interesting concept you can make a good cape fear about Karen's and about that sort of weird figure in middle America but this just isn't providing the subtlety. Surprisingly, Razzie nominee Karen is not providing the subtlety which I desired and which I should look to someone like Jordan Peele for, I guess. Karen then gives Malik a dressing down for not picking his trash can off the road like the second that the trucks take it away, which is just insane to me. I mean, I'm assuming this is just something which is invented for a terrible movie and isn't an actual policy because she's like, oh, you know, like the HOA rules state that you have to take your trash away the second it's collected, which, yeah, that has to be something for this movie. Listeners, let me know if I'm wrong, but like it just seems wild that like, because what are you supposed to be doing? Just waiting 
sitting by the side of the road until a garbage man comes and takes it and you wheel inside. Why even have garbage men at that point? Just like, I don't know. And like, obviously, if he was around to be doing that, she'd be like, oh, typical black man, unemployed. What's he doing at home at 10.30 a.m. on a Monday morning? Karen then goes out to lunch with one of her friends, who is also a Karen. She tells him about the new neighbours. New neighbours asks how they are. And Karen, first thing she says is, they're black. Her neighbour responds, are they good people? Karen is like, they did leave their trash on the curb, which... I kind of liked, you know, like, I think this is interesting in that, like, it's it, it seemed authentic to a type of individual I know of people who just have nothing better than to watch and gossip about others. The idea of new neighbours leaving their trash cans out for half an hour too long did seem kind of authentic, if not to America, certainly to Britain. I know all sorts of people who have nothing going on in their lives beyond the idea of what their neighbours could possibly be doing. Karen's nice relaxing dinner with her fellow Karen, however, is interrupted by two black men talking too loud. Karen goes over and confronts them, and I was just writing down, this is inauthentic. A real Karen would have gone through the manager, and she says, if you don't comply, I'll talk to the manager. Which, Nice, I guess, but like, I think that's the whole Karen stereotype, isn't it? Is like Karen's love authority. To me, the interesting thing about Karen is it's like people without any real power just using the structures in place, whether that be like racial privilege, whether that be the <laughs> presence of a manager, whether that be just, I don't know, race or middle classness, I don't know. That's what, like, that's when Karens are at their most interesting, I think, is it's, like, people with the most pathetic grievances just, I don't know, having, like, massive control freakery and attempting to use what meagre power and authority they have to run amok. And so I just would have liked to have seen more talking to the manager scenes. The, the, the fellow Karen says, do you want me to take care of them? which, I don't know, implies the existence of a league of Karens, like a mob of Karens. That might have been interesting if it was like a Tony Soprano-esque Stepford Wives of Karens. At this point, I'll just shout out, the movie looks terrible. The lighting is awful. Like, the the Karen that she's talking to in the reverse shot for her, it's just, it, it's, it's not good. She's underlit, and it just, this movie looks incredibly cheap. We don't have a budget figure, so I can't really say, but, like, my impression is it might have cost more than it looks like, because these aren't complete, like, non-entity actors. It's not clerks. Karen then catches Malik hotboxing his car, and she says, Oh, I see you're smoking the weed, aren't you? Your wife doesn't notice. And then Karen just has, like, a wildly racist monologue, I didn't write it down, but she's, like, speaking about, like, oh, you people, like, infiltrating our communities. And, like, she's essentially using, like, I don't know, birth of a nation type rhetoric of just, like, invading hordes. Yeah, already it's, like, wild how racist Karen is. So I'm kind of dreading how much further they can take it. Malik then goes inside and speaks to his wife, Amani, and she says, what, Karen is a Karen? This sounds like something out of SNL. And Malik responds, I don't know, it's more like Black Mirror. And this is just where I wish I had Kyle to discuss the SNL sketch in which a Karen is a Karen and what season that would fit in on. A little bit later, Karen gives 
it's honestly, it's so easy to remember characters' names when <laughs> the, the title of the movie is the character's name. We should do, we should do more movies like this. So Karen gives Imani a dressing down for not having blinds up because she says that she's performing a strip show, a strip tease, hey ho, for her son. And Karen ends it with like, you know, could be a little traumatizing for a 17 year old, which is just a great, great cack, I think. And then she goes back and we uh, we get Malik's response. Imani shouted him out earlier for being a beautiful, strong, intelligent, woke black man. And he says to her, I've ever told you how lucky I am to have you in my life. You're beautiful, intelligent, sexy, college educated, socially aware, and on top of that, a strong, beautiful black woman. So we are to infer from this that Imani is not woke and that like college educated, it's like, oh yeah, baby, you're MBA. Um, that's really, really why I'm with you. You're of so much more worth than you would be if you had not completed a four-year college degree. Malik then goes outside and encounters Karen again. She's putting antifreeze in her car or something. She's like, could you give me a hand? Oh yeah, that's what it is. Malik had been playing basketball with uh, her son and he's kind of like, oh, you know, like I love basketball. Like I love the Lakers and, and don't tell my mom, but I actually like rap music. And then his son runs off, whatever, and Malik gets stuck doing the antifreeze and while he's pouring the antifreeze karen touches his hand so she goes from being a germaphobe to like this awkward flirtation and i say awkward because it is the most ridiculous thing ever where like malik's hand just kind of like vibrates as karen's arm hand slides down and touches his and he just like yeah like slowly shakes it spilling antifreeze all over himself like there is a version of that scene which you can make work but it was just so poorly choreographed and then they have that porno moment of oh no you need to change your shirt come on indoors and i'll help you get cleaned up and i was just rolling my eyes at the plot contrivance going on here until i was like hang on like they're they're next door neighbors why doesn't he just go home to his own house and get a new shirt but he wanders through her house and that's where he finds the creepy like surveillance room and like confederate flag soap dish or something i can't remember anyway then karen wrangles herself an invitation to malik and imani's party which was really just a friends and family gathering but you know neighbors were basically like friends and so she goes to the party she's like oh imani that's a it's a lovely name where does it come from and imani's like oh it's swahili and Karen has her MCU soy moment of Swahwati, which, I don't know, maybe this might be a British thing, but any any boomer, any Karen type would be so familiar with Swahili because that's just a thing that people of that generation love to say. is like, oh, am I speaking Swahili here? The amount of times <laughs> I have heard that from people. Speaking of Karen linguistics... She says awesome sauce at one point, which is kind of nice. I, I guess it's more like millennial than Karen, but like, oh, yeah, the the idea of like, it's just a nice ear for dialogue, I guess, of like cringe millennial terms. Like, I was just waiting for Karen to speak about her hecking puppers and to be like, yeah, yeah, um, using all that kind of cringe dialogue. 
But yeah, so it's maybe not like I wouldn't necessarily associate it with a Karen, but nevertheless, it's something. She then compliments Imani on their nice black swords. We then, of course, get the Black Lives, like this party of black people say uh, Black Lives Matter at some point, and Karen chips in with Don't All Lives Matter? And I'm going to shout the film out here because I kind of liked what it did with like. It has the whip pan round to Karen saying all lives matter. And it was kind of nice to have that, like, I, I, I think the camera the camera work was serving the, the ideas at play there. But like everything in this film, it's kind of run into the ground or has all the subtlety of a sledgehammer as it just keeps doing the whip pan and it gets really boring by, like, the fourth time it's gone back and forth. Karen basically gets thrown out of the party and she says, oh... I thought we were going to play games, which just conjured up like a fantastic scene that I would have liked to see Karen playing cards against humanity because anyone who I've spoken to for any length of time will know that I utterly despise cards against humanity and I just like the idea of Karen playing that and just playing all of the most racist cards while everyone else is an awkward bystander. So this is where I think I was getting bored with the movie. And so I looked up the IMDb trivia. There's not much, but it says that the title role was written with Candace Cameron Bure in mind. Bure turned around the part due to scheduling conflicts, though she was allegedly flattered. Tara Manning was eventually cast and earned a Razzie nomination for her performance. And on my way to look up, I was like, Candace Cameron Bure. (laughs) Would be funny if she was related to Kirk Cameron. And when I (laughs) brought her up on IMDb, I saw Known for Fool House. And I was like, no, surely not. Surely not. And yes, Candace Cameron Bure is the sister of Kirk Cameron. Fantastic. How brilliant that would have been if Candace, if Kirk Cameron's sister played the Karen. And then get Kirk on board. Like, I can't remember who played Kirk's wife in oh i think it's kirk's other sister plays darren doan's wife in saving christmas so i like to think that you could have just got all the cast of saving christmas involved in karen there would have been a role for kirk for sure he could have played the racist cop maybe but the interesting the the filmography of candace cameron bure makes her quite interesting reading because she has an incredibly lengthy filmography 90 percent of them being films about christmas I had no idea that they had made this many films about Christmas, despite living in Vancouver, where they are shooting Hallmark movies about Christmas year-round. I was unaware there were so many. And Christmas, the noun of Christmas just used with no regard for English language conventions. Christmas just inserted into every possible phrase and used like as both adjective, both verb, just without any regard for syntax. Knock, knock, who's there? Christmas. I know what you did last Christmas. If you go down to the woods today, you're in for a big Christmas. It's truly interesting reading. If you have a spare five minutes, I would recommend just checking out those list of titles. Karen, I can't remember exactly what happens, but Karen at some point experiences consequences for her actions. 
And that was where I was like, okay, I guess we're just watching a fantasy now in which a Karen's friends call her out for being racist and she's kind of shunned by society. Next note, on the soundtrack, they have CeeLo Green. And I was like, that's interesting. This film seemed too cheap to be able to afford CeeLo Green. But this is post his sexual assault allegations, which got him canned from the Hotel Transylvania franchise and replaced by Keegan-Michael Key. So I don't know, I guess maybe after that scandal, he has lowered his licensing rates. There's then some stuff about like Karen brother being a member of the police and they speak about a racist brotherhood within the police as opposed to the police itself being a racist brotherhood so yeah Imani had previously wanted to leave and just sell the house and find somewhere else and then she has a confrontation with Karen who's like you know you're just not cut out for this neighborhood and she then has her Leo moment where she's like we're not fucking leaving and they hire a lawyer this is where I was really disappointed because I was like, I do not want to watch a courtroom legal drama. I came here for violence. We do learn that Karen's husband was killed by a black vigilante. That's why she's racist and I'm not going to delve into that at all. Karen then it becomes the kind of home invasion violence exploitation film that I wanted ever so briefly when Karen invades Imani's house with a gun and tries to kill her. She says, like, oh, you just brought a sword to a gunfight because Imani has the sword, obviously, Chekhov's sword. And they fight, and then she gets killed. And I was really hoping that Imani would have some Arnie-esque zinger, but she doesn't. She just says, I told you we weren't going anywhere, bitch. Which is a pretty, pretty anticlimactic parting line. And then we get the shittiest speech imaginable from the lawyer. I think he's not a politician, and a guy is playing a mournful version of, I think, the Star Spangled Banner. It certainly sounds like it in parts on the trumpet. All this lawyer is giving a speech, like a kind of address. And I was like, there is zero recorded history of anyone ever giving a speech accompanied by a jazz soundtrack. Like, he's not at a slam poetry evening. So we then get, like, a rather confused ending to the film like you get like shots of like i think real people real black people like kind of looking at the camera and you then get like the montage of the movie showing that things are getting better the the plantation avenue sign is removed from their neighborhood and it's replaced with a sign that just says john lewis not, not like john lewis street just john lewis where do you live oh i'm at 105 john lewis and then we get the Bond credits. So once again, would have been good to have Kyle here because we get like a kind of silhouette. Like we get the teenage boy, the 17 year old boy strip tease as a woman in silhouette dances in front of like a, a red background. And there you go, listeners. That is a quick summary of Karen. So interestingly, part of the, the fascination with Karen, at least for me initially, was that Coke Daniels, I think, was black on Wikipedia, wasn't hyperlinked, did not have a Wikipedia page. And so I didn't, we didn't know anything about Coke other than their first name. However, Coke has since gained a Wikipedia page where we can see that their name is Damon Coke Daniels, who is an American film director, screenwriter and film producer. He then says he wrote and co-produced the 2004 Miramax film My Baby's Daddy, which is a Cheryl Dunye film. And Cheryl Dunye I only know for The Watermelon Woman, so it's interesting to think of her being linked to Karen, however tangentially. Coke Daniels has a fascinating Wikipedia page, however. I looked up, like, the talk page because I was like, I'm sure this wasn't here when we last looked. 
And indeed, there was like a big heated discussion about whether he deserved to have a Wikipedia page, whether he was notable enough. But uh, his list of features, interesting reading. One I'll shout out is the film Holly Won't, which was apparently retitled as Comedy of Errors. So congratulations, Coke. You have at least made it now. Maybe it was the Razzie recognition that was taken as the, like, you know what? No, this isn't just a nobody. This is a Razzie nominee and they deserve the respect of a Wikipedia page. So the Razzie worthiness of this film. Yeah, this is like open and shut. Quite, quite a Razzie worthy film. Nominated for Worst Picture, of course. 2021 was a bit of a weak year because it was dealing with the wake of the pandemic. And so many of these films didn't see like full cinematic releases. But yeah, it, it it's certainly worthy for inclusion. Coke Daniels was nominated for Worst Director. Yeah, certainly well-earned. Tara Manning was nominated for Karen as Karen Drexler. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly well-deserved. Mr. Razzie was on Double Duty as he also nominated her for Worst Supporting Actress in every last one of them as Maggie. Karen was also nominated for Worst Remake, Ripoff or Sequel as an inadvertent remake of Cruella. And we kind of spoke about that without having seen it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, it it bears similarities with Cruella in the way that, like, there are just these archetypical stories. And, like, it, it doesn't. Like, Cruella is, like, an origin story. And this isn't an origin story. Like, this doesn't explain how Karen became a Karen. This is just, like, a home invasion, like, fish in new pond type movie. It's, like... Like, Cruella is the lead of Cruella, and Karen isn't the lead of Karen. She's the antagonist. So, well done, Mr. Razzie. You don't know anything about stories. And then it was nominated for Worst Screenplay, written by Coke Daniels. Certainly, certainly well-deserved for that. My fixes for the film, I just would have liked more attention to the Karen stereotype. I think my, my smallest change would make the biggest difference is essentially what if this film were directed by Jordan Peele because there was a potential i think i was imagining like 50 percent grimy exploitation movie 50 percent like get out to like social satire and instead it was just so a little bit more humor just would have been nice i guess and then build that big cathartic like make us hate karen more because like they just make her so racist right from the beginning it would have been good if we'd really kind of like if she hadn't like if she hadn't physically recoiled the first time that Malik touched her, then it would have been good if we'd sort of discovered like the true extent of her racism and then when she gets killed then we're like it's more cathartic, I guess. But yeah, that's that's Karen for you. Not a good movie. And so we're not gonna have the second half, obviously. I don't wanna take up too much of your time with this short mini episode. However, there are some things that we have neglected to cover in previous weeks. Firstly, a friend of the show Callum contacted us about our Jack and Jill episode saying that we didn't touch upon the product placement of Happy Madison films, which I am sorry is is such a key part. It's the Rosetta Stone of understanding these Adam Sandler films where he goes on holiday with his friends because Callum was like, there's no need for this film to cost as much as it does and they have ridiculously inflated budgets. And the key part of that is, like, product placement. Because, yeah, Adam Sandler films have an insane amount of product placement. But not just any product placement. It's, like, largely food. Someone has made a supercut video of all of the product placements in his films. And it's startling how much he mentions, like, product brand names. Which, like, it just, like, I don't know. It's like the Matrix. Just once you've seen it, you just see all these green numbers. And it forever changes the way you watch 
an Adam Sandler film. Because obviously in our episode, Kyle mentioned Subway from Happy Gilmore. And like Little Nicky, there's this thing with like, Popeye's chicken is fucking awesome. And there's the one from Big Daddy where he's like, we all love Yoo-Hoo, especially Yoo-Hoo with a little rum. And then Waterboy is like, Gatorade. Like, it's interesting just how, for me, you're like, yeah, yeah, it has a ton of product placement. Of course, we all know that. And then someone mentions it to you and you're just like, what? Yeah, I didn't even register just quite how much. It's like, yeah, like some of the most iconic quotes from the films are pushing products. So in Jack and Jill, obviously, Dunkachino is revolves around Duncan. Like, I'm sure, like, Fritoli or something gets mentioned at the, the Gardner's family get-together. I'm sure there's something about, like, Jill's breakfast or something. There's, of course, Jared Fogel having a cameo. So, yeah, it is pretty impressive, the amount of product placement which Sandler is able to hit you with. He just hits you with so much that you don't even see certain ones sort of sneak by because of the sheer volume of it. So yeah, that is certainly like a key piece of the later day Sandler that you need to discuss is like, yeah, these budgets are so high and he is able to channel so much funds to his friends because he is essentially kind of making feature length adverts by this point in his career. Another thing we have failed to discuss in our Kevin Smith special, which went on way too long as it was, is that Kevin Smith has his own Patreon, essentially, that Kevin Smith club. Where I'm going to read out to you some of the tiers here because it's it's fascinating stuff. So people can donate to Kevin Smith through his own kind of customized Patreon. So for $5 a month, you can join the clerks tier and that just gets you like audio access. $10 a month, you can be a mall rat where you get a, a visit to the Smithsonian screening room, which is his cinema. $15 a month, you can be a fun employee, which will have him send you a challenge coin. $30 a month, you can be a yoga hoser, which gets you the like bound published versions of Kevin Smith's scripts. Um, $50 a month, now we're getting into it. $50, $50 a month makes you a comic book man, which is sold out. There were only four slots. You can get drawn into a secret stash press comic with your likeness depicted in the pages of a funny book written by Kev. Well, funny book, I'll be the judge of that one, Kevin. $85 a month, you can be a fashionable male, which gets you a screen-worn wardrobe item from the Secret Stash archives. $85 a month, you are a Ranger Danger, which gets you a screen-used prop. $125 a month is reserved for the Golden Calves, which gets you... A super exclusive dinner and a movie date at Smodcastle Cinemas in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. You will then hang out in Kev's apartment upstairs before you chow down on a Kev-made meal you'll enjoy while watching a private screening and interview one. Includes a one-on-one interview with your host that's filmed for an episode of Smeditations. Happens three times annually. And sorry listeners, this tier is limited to 24 slots and they are all sold out. However, the $200 a month tier is not sold out. And for that fee, you can be a Jersey girl, which gets you a classic Kev-worn jersey. So you'll get one of the Edmonton Oilers coloured hockey sweaters Kev used to live in from his Just Jerseys era. Each one-of-a-kind pullover is a relic of a bygone era and no two game-worn jerseys are alike. 
On the shirt seen on the first five seasons of Comic Book Men and then almost every photo of Kev from 2010 to 2016. So, yeah, like, game worn. Like, I don't know if he's saying, like, you can get the jersey that I directed Cop Out wearing. But, yeah, that's that, that's fascinating. I wonder if the Oilers get any, any uh, kickback from that. Unfortunately, on the final tier, we step up to $250 a month, and that is also sold out. It was only limited to five slots, and this is the Crimson Crypto Club, which gets you a walk-on role in Kev's next film, the 430 movie. So, yeah. This has been our first sponsorship deal. This episode brought to you by that Kevin Smith Club. No, obviously, we do not support or condone anything and would not advise any of our listeners to give money to Kevin Smith. But someone mentioned this to me and I was like, we need to discuss this because it's it's quite funny to imagine that there are five people out there who are giving Kevin Smith $250 a month. So that's what, $3,000 a year? $3,000 a year to be in one of those films? <laughs> like not only are you not getting you're an extra in Kevin in a Kevin Smith movie and not only are you not getting paid you're also paying for the privilege eesh eesh but if anyone wants to buy Kyle and us that as a joke then you know we will happily uh, be a part of the 430 movie okay that concludes what has been a rather odd episode if you would like to get in touch with us, then you can email us at watchingworstfilms at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media where we are watching worst. And you can join us next week when, Zenu willing, normal order will have resumed and we will be bringing you our episode on Battlefield Earth. See you then.